Great. You didn't want me. Ready? Oh, we're good. Yep. Three, two, one. And the Oscar goes to nobody. Because nobody wants with the Oscars. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Taylor. This is the 76th episode of First Days with Maury. Uh, I'm your host, as I probably just mentioned, Ian Taylor. Join me tonight is my wonderful co-host and musician, artist, filmmaker, film editor, Devin King. And we have a very special guest for, with us tonight, returning guest, Bernard Petit. Bernard, would you like to tell the audience a little bit about what you do? Well, the uh, what, third, fourth, fifth time? <laughs> okay, so uh, my name is Bernard Petit Home, uh, originally from the Bahamas. Uh, my full background is in the creative arts space. I'm a painter, a thespian of stage, um, and also aspiring filmmaker and screenwriter. Uh, I came here to Canada, uh, specifically in London, Ontario, to study advanced filmmaking and visual effects and editing for post-production at Fanshawe College. And uh, here I am once again. Here with you guys to engage in this conversation about movies, whether we like them or not. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> you, you, you are specifically mind. the one friend that I have or who really follows up with the Oscars. Like, I believe this is your second year seeing every single nominated film. This is my second year, second consecutive year, actually watching every nominated film on the ballot. But that is specifically due to the fact that we've got we've moved everything now onto uh, digital. Where in the past, yep. uh, we were only able to watch the films in the theater and then had to wait three months to access them on DVD or some physical media. But since the pandemic, uh, you know, the Oscars has changed their rules a little bit and they've just been distributing things. The studios have been distributing things uh, online, whether it be through Amazon, VOD, uh, the short films you can find, and some of them you can find on YouTube. And some of the streamers actually acquire some of the short films as well, so... It's just been much more easy to access all these films than it, than it was in previous years, you know? Yeah, which is a blessing and a curse, I think, for the film industry. Because on the one hand, more people are actually watching these films because they're 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 accessible. On the other hand, they're not getting, you know, the numbers or bums and in seats into the movie theaters, which is, I think, still their primary source of revenue. But I guess everything's kind of, you know, shifting toward digital. And, yeah, this was uh, one of the few years I was able to actually follow up with these films. I'd... I wouldn't say I'd go out of my way to avoid watching these films, but I try not to, you know, give all my uh, attention to whatever, whatever the Academy's doing. I try to follow my own interests in the film world. But um, fair enough, was, uh, fair enough. It was, However, there was an interesting roster this year. I'll say that. <laughs> However, I would say honestly, for me, because uh, the smaller films uh, that usually uh, award season tend to uh, focus on uh, don't usually get the massive marketing push that the massive uh, tentpole studio projects tend to. So I, I wouldn't have known about a lot of these films unless it was award season because I, I don't have the time to sort of dig into what's hot at the festivals throughout the year. So usually by the end, by the end of the year, when it comes down to award season, that's usually when I find out what's, you know, got all the heat behind it, whether it be from another country or from the U S uh, North American domestic, uh, market you know so for me I, I that's why i kind of follow i still follow award season because the, these smaller films i i know by by no stretch of imagination would i be able to access them or know about them uh, unless i i unless they actually put a strong marketing push behind them you know 
Yeah, no, and actually, this is one of the few instances where I think the Academy is actually doing its job in bringing these uh, smaller films or these really noteworthy films to the you know to the spotlight because I feel like they, you know, for the last few years have been kind of highlighting the same kind of things over and over. Where uh, two of the films tonight here that we were going to be talking about really, um, I thought were really worth seeing, and I really appreciated the fact that I did see them, and I may not have seen them otherwise. Two of them. Well. Yeah. Well, what, I, I think I think the, I think everybody would have third one managed. I saw anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think everyone would have managed to have seen Encanto at some point. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. It, Disney. Like you know, so Disney. That, much... that, that that doesn't count as you know. Yeah, that, 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 that's what I mean. But with with, yeah. with with two of the films, like there are there are two indie films that I otherwise might not have encountered that's that true. I thought were really worth seeing. Yeah. Were Encanto. Who didn't see that? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? A lot of people apparently, but yeah, yeah. Point. Well. I, I thought it was really well done. I mean, we'll we'll get into spoilers, spoilers. later. But um, everybody knows your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking but, um, of spoilers, all of these films will be a spoiler discussion. So these films came out very recently. Almost all of them, actually, all of them are in streaming services. Coda's on Apple TV Plus. Drop My Car is on HBO Max, and Encanto is on Disney Plus. If you have not seen these films and you do not want to be spoiled, please watch them or. Jump to the time frames below. You won't be disappointed, but we will be spoiling these films, especially in Kanto and Drive My Car, I think, very heavily. So do keep that in mind. Uh, I just realized we haven't discussed who's going to introduce which film. Uh, I'd personally like to introduce Drive My Car, but I don't know. What I'll, you I'll do Coda. You got it. Okay, I'll do I'll do Encanto, I suppose. You got it, Devin. We don't talk about it. But we do right. talk about Coda. Bernard, take it away. So uh, I'm just going to take a little blurb uh, from IMDb, uh, or actually Wikipedia. Special so Coda to... is actually uh, a film uh, featuring the lead character, Ruby, who is the only hearing member of a deaf family from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, she's about 18, 17 years old. Uh, she works mornings before school to help her parents and the brother keep their fishing business afloat. But in joining her high school's choir club, our lead protagonist, Ruby, finds herself drawn to both her day, duet par partner and her talent, a latent passion for singing. Anybody want to uh, lead the conversation? Yeah, that's I just want to say I really loved this film. Um, as someone who really enjoys and listens to music, um, there, there, there was a lot of things that this touched on that I really appreciate and really connected with. Um, and it's just an interesting contrast looking into, you know, this kind of uh, situation where there are real people who uh, live with, uh, you know, deaf people. They have a deaf family, but they're the only hearing member. And I feel like it, you know, highlights what that kind of life is like. And I actually saw a reaction video of an actual CODA um, person reacting to the film and he signs basically everything he says just out of instinct at this point even though he hears just fine but um i thought it was really just uh interesting looking to this world and i also love uh the obscure music she's into uh one of them uh this record she has is uh called the shags which is mm -hmm. an interesting uh piece of outsider uh art basically uh, the story behind this group, and I'm just this is a little tangent, but it's kind of fun. Um, it's this band made of three girls, three sisters who were all like just around 10 years old or something, or even less when they wrote the album. And uh, they're kind of terrible, 
but more in like a naive sense, like they're not trying to be. And the the whole reason that they came together and created this album, this one album, is because their father was told by like a fortune teller that her uh, that his daughters would become like uh, one of the most famous bands in the world. So he basically just got them together to make music and then record this one album. And they're they're, they're kind of terrible, but in very endearing way. And it's just cool to see like that in a film, just them talking about this album. Um, and that that's really like just like one throwaway scene. But um, <laughs> I just appreciated the reference, I suppose. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. And I think we also need to discuss like the behind this, the crazy behind the scenes information about this movie. Like first off, the main actress who's played by Amelia Jones uh, did mm-hmm. not know sign language before starring in this movie. She actually learned it from scratch. If I'm not mistaken, the same issue was with the director who actually had translators on board, but the director learned sign language anyways just to communicate with the actors effectively. And I appreciate that like amount of passion and work kind of put into the behind the scenes and making of this movie. I thought it was okay. I thought the movie was alright. It, it, it kind of has the same issue I had with Belfast to an extent where it feels just a little too sanitized and friendly, but this movie didn't bug me as much with that because with Belfast, it tackled much more serious subject matter, so I felt like that film needed like a little more grit and teeth to it, than, but this film's going for something much more simple and standard, so that tone doesn't bug me as much, but the plot of this movie feels like ev- how everybody jokes about every 80, like bad music biopic ever it's like oh this girl like really wants to sing but her family doesn't really want her to get into and she has this big job that she needs to take but she can't leave her family behind and it narratively it's very bare bones which wouldn't bug me as much if it was like an interesting cinematic experience because best picture to me implies that it's a picture it could only be explored as a movie as a visual image. And I wrote this in my review and said, I can't believe a movie about driving around in a car and practicing a play is more visually interesting than <laughs> a girl learning how to sing in the beautiful countryside. Because the presentation of the movie is so bland and something about it just feels off. Like they kind of made it with like motions moving in mind or that process that kind of blurs the image and gives it the soap opera effect to make everything seem smoother than it actually is. It's just... Somebody felt oh. off about how the movie. I don't know, okay. if, that was, I don't know if that was a setting oh, okay. on your end or, or how you watched it might have affected it. I thought it was really uh, well crafted in this sense. It felt just naturalistic. I, I mean, don't know about that. I, 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 know it. I know it. I know it's a remake of a uh, French film, and I am curious how it compares to that. Mm. Yes, and, the, fr- you know, the French film is called La Famille Bilier. I think that's yep. the original film. It's came, it was released in 2014, if I remember clearly. Yeah, and I'm curious how they compare, and there's also a discussion to be had about, you know, American remakes and then this taking all the notoriety for, uh, you know, this uh, story. But for, for what it's worth, I thought it was uh, really well executed. I thought the uh, the acting of the father uh, particularly was exceptional. Mm. Like, he was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and especially the uh, yeah, you have to put a helmet on that soldier. That whole scene <laughs> just got me rolling. Oh, the hospital scene when it's like and, uh, um, you have to quit the act of sex for how long? Forever? Uh, okay, for two weeks. No, we can't do it. 
No, no. Well, whether there is that, but also when uh, he thinks that the boy that she has over at his place that oh, they were yeah. <laughs> having sex when he's the one that caught them having sex. So he's visually trying to explain to him how to use a condom, and it's just hysterical. <laughs> I mean, I that got that. that that whole scene killed me, and and you know the the dad's really charismatic in that whole thing. Like you can tell he he's like a really caring you know parent, but uh, who can't help but just be himself. It, it is interesting though, like comparing this film to a film we looked at last week. We covered some um, films from the Ukraine. We looked at this film called The Tribe, which is told completely in Ukrainian sign language with no translation or subtitles whatsoever, and. Um, I think I think this film uh, translates better, uh, not to put a pun on it, uh, in terms of like its storytelling. But it is still an interesting kind of exercise and just visual, you know, filmmaking. Um, I don't know the I don't know the point I was going with that, but it's I still think it's uh, pretty decent. I I don't know if it deserves like best picture for that in and of itself, but I do think it's a solid film. Um, okay, so as as for me, um, I don't see the best picture winner always having to be the film that you know utilizes every single uh sort of aspect of cinematic filmmaking whether it's it's the sound it's the cinematography production design all those kind of massive elements uh that tends to be woven together making a a piece uh because ultimately uh you know you could some films are stronger in other places than others and I think for this film, this film uh, actually won because it actually accomplishes, you know, giving people that feeling that, you know, because a film can be a, a, an experiential uh, sort of uh, medium as yeah. whereby some, some of it, you, you, you gravitate towards uh, the musical parts of it, maybe gravitating towards the actual visual, sorry, visual parts of it. And some of it is performance and things like that. I think... Though this film is smaller than the likes of Dune and uh, oh, yeah. uh, Power of the Dog, and those ones which actually have much more grander in terms of scope and uh, you know oh, all of the other artistic elements, uh, this film is yeah. more intimate and actually draws you in uh, to the experience of the performances and the characters you learn to fall in love with, you know. And it, it gives yeah. you that. It is it, just that's something that connects. It connected with not just you know the Academy, there's other audience members, everybody who I know. That I share this film with, they responded to it right away. It just they just connected with it. Now I would say, while you know Coda offers no major surprises narratively, I still found it to be a film uh, for all audiences that are needing for something that's well written story wise, and that is like totally, thoroughly heartwarming. Uh, I think it works by the stellar cast. You know, it uh, the stellar cast actually brings the the little screenplay vividly vividly to life with fine performances. That touch on your soul, on your soul, and sticks to you. Um, but I would say also, <laughs> furthermore, that Coda offers uh, more of what is needed in cinema today, which is uh, representation of story featuring people uh, uh, that are usually not seen on screen, which are people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. But it offers no surprises. I, I there are moments of cliched uh, resolutions um, within the different stories and all that. But um, it I I just think it's something that people probably just needed right now, you know, something that's simple, that gets the point across, yeah, and the characters good. you just fall in love with. Yeah, and that's fine, and it's a it it's a well acted, well sung, well performed, generic story, but it is a generic story nonetheless. I kind of <laughs> well, a part of me it, does I feel I like I, because it's about the deaf community, and it's a good 
you know, positive representation of the deaf community, but I feel like that's why people are giving this film maybe a bit more credit than it deserves. Like, I don't want to sound like I hate the film because of oh, that. It might be on. my favorite aspect, but I, it's just so... It, it does nothing... It's okay to have a generic narrative. It's okay to have a narrative that isn't complicated or big in scope or anything along those lines. Just do something interesting with it. Do something with it well, that well, we what haven't was seen uninteresting before. about no, it. You know what I found interesting is the fact that because it was, it was set in a fishing town and there were working class issues presented um, as a subtext in, in within the whole you know overarching story. You know, this, These were people who were deaf. Yeah. Uh, these weren't rich people. No. They still found a way to make means, make do with the little mm-hmm. means that they had because they were mm-hmm. limited in terms of their you know, disability, but at the same time, they didn't see themselves as being totally handicapped, and they 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 had they had some form of independence, but they still were kind of dependent on their herring, uh, their herring daughter, mm-hmm. yeah. and eventually they had to find a way, had to come to you know, a point where they had to just let her let it go and let it fly and become their own people. Yeah, yeah it's like they, it was like yeah. they were they were depending on her in a sense for being able to translate and all this, but it's exhausting on her end, and she's trying to do her own thing become her own person like we've seen that story a thousand times but i think i've never seen it in this in this way though you know well that's sure i I think there's very little if nothing of this film that comes across as inauthentic like all this feels very grounded it feels very human and i yeah i really resonated with these characters and i love their dynamic they really felt like a real family another thing that's uh worth noting in the uh cast here you may have uh recognized the uh the one actress in it um Marley Matlin. Yeah, Marley Matlin. I was just playing I love her. her name. I, she, I, uh, her. She, I love her. She, she won the Oscar back in the day for a uh a, a lesser known film Children called, uh, Children of a Lesser Electric. God. Oh yeah, yeah with William a, Hurt. Rest which is a kind of a damning title, which is which is which I find odd about it, but it is an interesting film and she won the Oscar first that person ever win an Oscar for that performance. Wow. And I thought she was excellent in this just as well. She, yeah, she, was she probably favorite. could have won one again for honestly, yeah. uh, for this. But I, but I also think uh, the father, the, the the actor that played him, absolutely deserved. It. He's very charismatic. On yeah, the parents are probably my favorite part about the movie. Like their relationship remind me a lot of like the relationship with my parents. Just their <laughs> kind of back and forth <laughs> nature. Their <laughs> you know need for. <laughs> explicit things it seems ridiculous but you know they are just like two adults like trying to live a marriage while also dealing with being deaf and that is there are problems of that that's a pain enough that process is a pain in the ass in of itself but mm-hmm. you know add on top of that you know, this language barrier and that's a much more difficult process and that part i elevated mm-hmm. to the most i kind of wish more of the movie dragged to that and less of the whole i just didn't really care about what the daughter was going through, unfortunately. Like, she okay. just wasn't well, this, this, this is where I differentiate, because I thought it was mm-hmm. really uh, a good story on here. I didn't like the uh, the uh, teacher actor when I first saw him, just because he came off as kind of a prick, but when you saw that he was really trying to, you know, help her overcome things, like, there was a lot of situations where he was kind of being unforgiving of her despite her situation, and she could have explained that better. But I do like how they worked together to get her at uh, Berkeley and that audition. Like that whole scene was genuinely emotionally impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this does a you know person trying to get into music uh, story better than a lot of other films I've seen, um, yeah. which uh, might be foreshadowing for a uh, episode I have planned in the future Ooh. centered on music education. I'm not going to say too much more, but um, 
this 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 easily could have uh, been a contender for that episode and um I also like the fact that the one guy was wearing a King Crimson shirt uh, at some point in Fire. That was, <laughs> that was point that based. That was <laughs> as Steve as Steve would say. Based, but, um, red pilled. Uh, I mean, no, I I, I really like the little nods to to music culture. I guess because I'm a I'm a music nerd, so mm-hmm. I appreciated that stuff. I mean, yeah, Choir it, it was, was something nice. I did when I was like in elementary school, so I never got to it in like the high level. Then I didn't really have an interest in the high level, but I did do like band practice when I was in high school. So my experience was a little different. Now, here's the there question. is something about overcoming personal problems and performing well that's true. Do you think all of the singing was real? Because I know like her singing was real per se, but do you think it was performed live on camera? Well, it could have been overdubs by them afterwards just to get a better uh, yeah. recording. It didn't seem like I didn't notice any like really obvious ADR. Maybe there was some uh, here and there, yeah. but um, it seemed pretty authentic to me. It did sound like her singing. Like I'm usually pretty good at catching when yeah. the voice doesn't match the person. It is her singing. I just I can't tell if there was overdubbing or not. At the very least, they did a good job hiding it. Like it's not as obvious as Bohemian Rhapsody. Just thirty <laughs> percent oh, of his God. singing was covered by. You know, Queen himself no, is yeah. so obvious in certain scenes. But here, like, they definitely... If there was ADR done, which I don't know if there is or not, music experts, please let us know in the comments and remind me why I suck for hating this film, which I don't hate it. Uh, please let us know. I'm very curious about that. And it was her singing, for sure. And, yeah, like, that final audition scene was, you know, very touching and a great scene in the movie. But I don't know. I wish I could connect with this film more than I did. I guess it's a good way to put it. I I can't stress enough how much this movie feels like it should be on Disney Plus. <laughs> That's my review mm-hmm. of Coda. Is, is it because it was on Apple Plus and you had to get another, another <laughs> it's just so, well, it, Plus it, it wasn't made by Apple though. It was it was originally made independently and Apple acquired it. I think it was Sundance. One of the previous uh, uh, mm. festivals great. last year. Yeah. So because I think um, Netflix almost got it. But Apple ended up getting it, which <laughs> made Apple the first streaming service um, in Oscar history to actually win Best Picture. Because I know uh, oh, yeah. Netflix and Amazon have been campaigning for a decade now to try to get that honor. But mm-hmm. Apple, a few short years in, they ended up picking up that trophy yeah. in the end. So they made history that night, being the first streaming service. Suck at Power of the Dog. <laughs> actually, I like that movie, but a lot of people didn't. So... No, I I like Power of the Dog. I actually I liked everything on the ballot, to be honest with you. Yeah, personally. That's yeah, you're you are definitely the most informed person when it comes to any of these films. Where I've only heard speculation. I know uh, our uh, resident fraud uh, Stephen hated that film, so I'm very curious to see. Yeah, uh... be, because of what it's about. <laughs> but you know, it it oh, actually sure. handles the topic in an interesting way. But you know, that's relevant, I guess. But. Anyways, well, love you, Steve. I, I, I'm just curious where Let's I'll fall. When, when I have two friends whose like opinions or views I cross in terms of movies, when they have complete opposites, I'm like, and what's I'm wondering what side of the fence I'll I'll fall on when I finally go see it. But did did any scenes uh uh for you guys that you found uh at least uh, the the stronger scenes in the film or the most compelling? For me, I I rather uh enjoy the scene where Ruby went to see her brother Leo. Um, by the beach, and they oh, were having yeah. this this back and forth exchange about you know her just leaving and him his him feeling so be um so dwarfed 
in terms of his responsibility in the family because they treat her like she's the older uh, sibling and him like the child because they won't and it's, and then he also criticized her for being so worried about how other people perceive the family instead of uh, worrying about you know us uh trying to understand hearing people why they should maybe they should figure out how to deal with deaf people i thought that was a strong sort of uh, interaction in the film i probably liked a lot uh, and also the yeah, scene yeah. with troy Kutzer and uh the daughter uh well troy Kutzer playing frank and uh ruby under the stars in the truck on the truck and the back of the truck i thought that was a pretty good scene those are the two most strong uh, most effective scenes for me Nice. Oh yeah, when he sings to her and he has his like hands on her throat, which out of context might look threatening, but it's very mm-hmm. emotionally touching kind of scene because he, he's trying to hear the resonance in her voice and understand what she, I, I don't know, what, what made her special, how she's expressing herself, which I did think that was a beautiful th- scene where he's there supporting her despite not being able to hear how she sounds. And um it was also funny to see, or you know, the, the one scene that he was pulling up, playing like really loud gangster rap, which mm-hmm. you, you think they wouldn't normally enjoy, but he just likes the vibrations of the bass, mm-hmm. and that's why he's playing it. Yeah, that was which, interesting. Um, those scenes. I already mentioned the the whole uh, <laughs> awkward uh, conversation they had after he catches them, or the, the daughter catches them having sex, and he's trying to explain it uh, <laughs> to, to, to the guy that was over. I thought that 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 scene was just hysterical. I couldn't stop laughing. I had to pause and walk away for a second and come back to it just because I couldn't stop laughing. Well, and if I we're think talking about funniest scene, uh, <laughs> I think the Tinder scene was pretty entertaining. <laughs> Where they're, like, oh, all the trying t- to hook up for t- Tinder and try to get, like, <laughs> the different family that, members hooked up. Because we could do it together as a family. Like, I thought that was a little weird, but also pretty funny. Because <laughs> I've tried doing that kind of stuff with my dad or my uh, brother before, like, tried to hook them up with dating profiles, and it's like, this is the most awkward fucking thing in the universe. Like, why do I have to do this? So that was oh, yeah, pretty that funny. Was funny. And, uh, best scene, well, definitely the audition when she's using sign language to communicate what she's singing, to kind of try and express herself the best way she can to both groups. Like, that was great, but it seems like that, it, I'm just thinking, like, why wasn't more of the movie like this? It feels like it, it it didn't quite earn those scenes for me. If it, it kind of just felt like a hodgepodge of great scenes that they, you know, surrounded a basic film around. That kind of sums up yeah. Coda and not show, unfortunately for me. But I didn't hate it by any means. Uh, it's nowhere near as bad as Don't Look Up. I liked it more in Belfast. Um, Belfast for me, kind of to just me, I, I just felt like the editing was so abrupt and quick. I, I just didn't it feel like, like it connect with anybody. Yeah, you know, it's, it, everything just moves so quickly. The pacing is just so off for me. Yeah, it wasn't much a, better. It wasn't a horrible film, but I just felt like I, I just didn't have time to actually connect with anybody because everything just moves so fast. Yeah. I would have been fine if, the, yeah. if it had just been three hours long and just gave me some breathing room to see to understand what was going on and and who I should root for. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, I, I, there, there. There's one thing I appreciate from the film, and it's the title. There's like multiple meanings to it. Like obviously, it's child of a deaf adult, but also musically, the fact that the plot had something to do with music was tied into that as well. But also, if you look yeah. at what Coda actually means in music, it's like the concluding passage of like a movement, and you could say that this whole story was her to, was sort of her Coda kind of being 
this close to the family or being just like the main translator for the family like she's finally moving on in her life into the next movement of her life so yeah. you can read into so, it thematically like that but i, I love how yeah. well realized that is of, of just a, a single a simple title kind of connecting different meanings together into one story i love that yeah i, I guess that figures that it's uh oscar narrative it's awards narrative as well mm-hmm. when, you, when you put it in that perspective I mean, this this is exactly what the Oscars love, and this is the whole. <laughs> I didn't know if Oscar Bation was too crude of a title for this episode, but it also just seemed right, you know. It works. Um, uh, but I I think this there there's other films that are less uh, egregious about it than others. Like there are some movies that you can't just help but look at and think this was made to win an Oscar, not that it deserves it, but it it just feels a little more disingenuous and it's a goal it's like they weren't just trying to make this to make a film they like oh they have Meryl Streep in this they're of course they're going for an Oscar <laughs> you know like yeah, I, I, I think of uh, just Osage County for example like that's a oh, film no. made for Oscar I love, season I love, I love that film man well, because okay. it, it's based on a play and I love theater and it's based on a play true okay but Plays. You know, I, 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 I guess, the, I guess the theatric when the theatrics are a little on the nose and it's coming out in like fall i'm like okay we're gonna see a bunch of oscar Beatty type movies now <laughs> mm-hmm. but i think i think this film stands out on its own like this is a film that i would watch not because it won best picture but because i think it's a genuinely good story and i like films like this that do that like i would show this with uh, i would have my parents watch this and see what they think of it and find and what ways do they connect with it all right so well, I, I appreciated this one give it out of 10 i give it a nine out of ten buddy Woo! Nice, Devin. I praise. I'm, I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a nine too. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, I can't be that generous to it, but like I said, there are things I appreciate about it. It's not boring. I'll give it that. It's definitely not boring. It's almost two hours, and it, the film just flies right by. But not in the obnoxious way that Belfast was edited together. This actually feels like a full story, so you know I'll give it credit for that. It's a. Uh, well-acted, well-orchestrated, well-paced Disney Plus movie that I wish I could connect with more. And I'm giving this one a 6 out of 10. Free stars. It's not, it's not a Disney Plus, man. There's, like, sex and stuff in there, boss. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Mostly Disney Plus. <laughs> well, this... Yeah, this, I I think this could fit up with, like, the stars, like, the, the, the additional yeah. uh, subscriptions like within Disney that are a little more adult content. There's some stuff on there that I'm surprised Disney would have on there. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I, a lot of that stuff that they got from, from Fox and, and such. So, yeah, and Hulu and all that stuff. Yeah, that so makes it, sense. It makes sense, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I mean... But there was another point I was going to mention, but it just completely shot out. Like, how how did uh, not boring become a compliment? That's what I'm wondering. Well, when I watched uh, Belfast and <laughs> Don't Look Up, I okay. you, I didn't I didn't find Don't Look Up in Belfast boring. At I all. oh no, I, I found Don't Look Up. Don't look, don't, don't look Up was anything but boring. I found. Oh, no. I mean, it's a hot mess. It is a hot mess, uh, man. I really wanted to hear Steven just shit all over that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I want to talk about and it so I, bad. I, I was teasing him, saying, I can't wait till Don't Look Up wins Best Picture and then just see Steven's reaction. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think uh, Adam McKay's made a great film since uh, uh, The Big Short. Yeah, but, he, he's been trying The Big one. Short again. Vice is okay. And, Vice is okay. Yeah, but the problem is he's been trying to recapture that magic, but he just failed to do so every time. Like, he forgot how to make his own movie. Wow. But... This next director, 
didn't forget how to make his own movies. Ryusuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car. It's the first film I've seen from him. Uh, spoiler Good alert. Good job uh, not butchering the name. <laughs> I'm surprised I got that right. I almost never get names right on here. So This is why I avoided introducing this one. <laughs> Drive My Car. Uh, it's about a renowned stage actor and director. He's basically... The first 40 minutes of the movie are the prologue. It doesn't show the title of the movie until then, which is a very strange choice. And to be honest, I really wasn't with it for the first 30 or so minutes. But after that, I was like, all right, I'm right on board. Let's get on with it. I don't think it. it shows the title until the very end. I mean, not, not to get into spoilers, it, but no, I it think shows it, it, shows opening, it shows opening credits after 40 minutes and then the title at the very end. That's what I remember seeing. I thought it was both, but I could be wrong. Uh, anyways... Yeah. Uh, Main character is a renowned stage actor played by Hidetoshi Nishijima, and he's coming to the terms of the loss of his wife, and he's coming to terms with the fact that an actor in his new play has cheated with his wife, and he's coming to terms with that. Just so much on his mind, and he can't even drive to take things off his mind like he used to because he got into an accident where his optics basically got messed up to the point where he cannot drive anymore. I don't know. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think that was the reason. I think it's because he. Uh, sorry to sorry to correct here, but it's because he was uh, as part of a contract for this uh, artist residence thing mm. that uh, I think for liability reasons they have someone else it, yeah. assign a driver to him. Well, so that was the reason. Well, that they the reason they had that liability was because of his injury, though. I'm pretty sure. Okay, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean maybe does, maybe yeah. that was their way of of bringing it in. Like maybe exactly. it was because like you of could drive, but we really don't want you to because we need you on this project so it gives him this driver okay. and that side of it kind of seems a little bit cliche but as they kind of open up about their issues the relationship becomes way more interesting than you'd expect and mm. yeah that's essentially what drive my car is about uh it's kind of slow it's very long it's not for everybody but man this was i this was my kind of movie i really oh, I really it. dug I... this movie I, I was not expecting to it. like it as much as I did. Like I, right? I mean, I was a little nervous going in, seeing the three-hour runtime. And it's not that I'm against long movies, but there there have been movies that we've covered on this uh, podcast that just haven't earned their runtime. And Linda Park. Um, I, I no, I would disagree there. But um, no, uh, this I love the uh, sensibility of the way this story is told. Like it really. Uh, takes its time, but it feels earned. It doesn't feel like they're rushing anything. They really want you to develop these characters and connect with way with them in ways you don't normally expect. And it's this very it's a sensibility to filmmaking that I see in Japanese films that I've really come to appreciate over time. I remember seeing this one called uh, Maboroshi, where it's about a woman going through this tragic loss and kind of grieving of uh, I think her husband or something and a lot of the film is just her kind of, I guess, very slowly coming to terms. It doesn't really come out of her until, like, the very end, how she's been feeling. Like, she's been kind of suppressing it. And I feel like there's an element to that in this film where he goes through – there was a lot of unresolved issues with their uh, marriage where uh, you see that she's um, sleeping with other people and he's uh, not confronting her about it. Um, <laughs> and then – she dies uh, kind of randomly as he's avoiding coming home. She has like a cerebral hemorrhage. So there's a lot of unresolved um, stuff that he's going through. And I love the way 
um, again, this is going into spoilers, but he's, uh, you know, a play director and they're rehearsing lines. I love seeing this kind of creative process of them talking about stories, which made me feel a little more seen than usual because, you know, we, we discuss story ideas all the time mm. and I'm actually seeing this portrayed in a film, which was kind of, it felt kind of meta in a sense, Very. but it's almost like he's expressing things through other people's written words and other people's characters while not acknowledging what he's going through, um, which is really interesting and surreal to see just how they're expressing something while avoiding expressing something. I mean, it makes me think of, uh, have, have, has, has anyone seen In Cold Blood? I've heard no, I still have not seen it as yet. But no. So there is one shot in that film that's very telling, and this is kind of the same idea but visual, where it's about these two characters that go and commit this uh, awful crime, this awful murder, and this yeah, person. It's based kind on of... a Truman Capote uh, yep. novel, right? Yeah, which is based, which is in turn based on real events. But mm-hmm. basically, through the cinematography, this guy is kind of avoiding facing some inner turmoil that he has. But the cinematography shows rain on the window and the light, and you see like the rain kind of tearing on his face but he's not actually crying but it's almost like the lighting is expressing what he's actually feeling on the inside when he's trying to act tough on the outside and i feel like this film does that similar thing where these people are feeling some inner turmoil but they're not outright expressing it but he's just like rehearsing these lines of people going through these emotional episodes in a very uh, robotic kind of way which i think is super interesting and just shows the complexity of you know, human emotion and how and how, how multi-layered it is. Just like he's trying to avoid expressing something in and of himself by um, practicing something outside. I don't know where I'm going with that point, but I thought it was really interesting, and I love the uh, way they presented that. It's meta, just like you said, but not in a way that's like really showy or explicit, like something like mm-hmm. New Nightmare. It feels or very Enough grounded. Madness. Yeah, it's very it feels grounded very real. and subtly interwoven into the story. Like once the character goes through something and doesn't really react to it not in a way that's stilted or awkward but in a way that feels realistic like we wouldn't necessarily like encounter our wife if she's china so we might go like fuck this like i need to go out and t- for a breath of fresh air and express my emotions through music or through television or through another medium and for him it's practicing the play and the lines that are going through that part of the story i can't remember the lines in particular but it tied into that narrative and i thought that was just a really, really great decision. Like, it isn't just repeating the same lines and monologues over and over. There's a narrative purpose to that. Like, the characters are expressing themselves through their art form. And that's essentially what the movie is about. Like, it's how we uh, art connects us and how we express ourselves through the art we uh, delve into and how it can kind of make us realize who we are. Like, it's very... A lot of movies, especially a lot of Oscar movies, try to go for the pro-movie vibe or the pro story vibe where it's like storytelling can really drive us together but this movie is just much more subtle about it much more grounded and in that Mm -hmm. approach that it feels more personal it doesn't feel like you know they're jacking off about how great they are how or how great their medium is it just feels it's in it shows how art can be an expression and how art should be an expression of our emotions but can help us confront our demons as well interesting very interesting yeah, I, I from what I understand, this is actually based on a short story uh, from a mm-hmm. 2014 collection uh, called "The Men Without Women," if I remember clearly. That's right. Which is really interesting. It's amazing how they could find a three-hour 
story <laughs> out of a short story. That was pretty impressive. I uh, for some, I know for some people they may find this uh, film a bit imposing on their time, but if you actually just you know block out everything around you and just sit for a moment, allow yourself to be absorbed, both uh by the visuals and uh the performances and just the whole narrative purpose of this piece you you'd actually find it quite engrossing i was taken from i was take i was so taken by this film from beginning to the very end and i didn't even notice that we had gone 40 minutes in without even opening credit sequence because i was yeah, just like... so enraptured by just the dialogue and uh, the way everything was framed and shot you know Mm -hmm. the, the the shadows and and the the light that just contours along the uh the faces of the subjects it was just so well made and then when you it get was, to the I point think... of when the car is introduced and it gets on the road you know i just follow that car straight through it's just so bright red it just stood out among all the other uh but the whole environment yeah. that the car finds itself through that i i just i just was so taken by every moment of this film every frame just spoke to me so Every I didn't find it imposing. Yep, I didn't find it imposing at all. But I could understand how it doesn't work for some people unless they have sort of that sort of uh, visual language to understand the film as a whole. But everything worked for me pretty well. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I no, I think um, I I was only nervous about it looking at the runtime going in but once we started i love how it opens where it's just him having a conversation with his wife in bed and she's telling him story ideas this is kind of a thing where he gets inspired with these story ideas right after they have sex which is kind of an interesting uh plot device and visual <laughs> um but uh no i, I love i love how it, it throws you right in the middle of things like in medius res like it feels just immediate and it gives you just enough of their backstory leading into the, mm -hmm. the main plot to really get you involved in these characters and it's i a, feel like there was yeah. no other way to do it because you know i the stretcher apparently was not a fit is not fond of flashbacks like mm, that's, that's kind of a that's gimmicky good. Good, it's, kind of, it's kind of a gimmicky thing and oh, i think boy. him just showing it in this straightforward linear way was probably the right way to do it and i think it just it helps you feel a lot more engrossed in these characters like this could have been a little mini mini series on netflix that some people watched but other others didn't i think and they really cut it down to as short as it, as it needed to uh, yeah as short as it needed to be and they said it and he said he never intended to make a 3 hour long film he tried to get it as short as possible but they they cut it down to the point where um, they felt like they couldn't cut out, out, out anything else. So I feel like they went in with the right intent in terms of the crafting the story. And he also said he wanted to conclude everyone's story in it. That's why this film feels like it has three, four endings. Like, it could have ended right when they uh, went to the girls, like, sunken house after that whole story. Like, it could have ended right there. But he wanted to wrap up... Um, give emotional little like buttons to each of the main characters we've been following which i appreciated honestly even though it could have ended sooner but um i like this the, the sense of completeness that he puts into this film it feels like a whole journey like this th this film feels like a visual novel that's how i describe it. it doesn't feel like cinema it feels like i'm seeing a novel kind of unfold being played by real people just because the cinematography the way it's captured is just so clean and like it, it, does, it doesn't feel like there's any artifice in how it's captured. It's just shot with, like, an Ari Alexa with some Zeiss and Ingenue lenses, which are probably the cleanest-looking uh, lenses you can get your hands on, which some people almost avoid just because they find it too clinical. But I think the very human storytelling just 
grounds gives it. it the maximum like resolution, the maximum sense of realism. Like I, I just feel completely engrossed in the story. I feel like I was transported to Japan and seeing these characters' lives in real time. That's how it felt. So I appreciated that. Yeah, the um, visual what, also aspect, what you describe yeah. is is a clear demonstration of the uh, filmmaker's artistic integrity. You know, mm. because if, if had this been made in North America, specifically within Hollywood, they would have found every which way to cut around this whole film, and you wouldn't find oh, yeah. the completeness in everybody's storyline uh, to the very end. I'm sure they would they would have found a way to cut around it, whereby oh. you kind of sideline certain characters and only focus mostly on the protagonist. And easily like if yeah, this was given I'm to sure like a 24 or some like some other producer would have thought can we cut this down to an hour and a half and i'm sure they would have found a way to like do it Belfast. but it would be less of a film uh not just in like a, a superficial way but i think it really would be i feel like it needed this amount of time to really give a complete sense of the story which i thought was uh really well done mm-hmm. and it really uh facts you in ways you don't expect and just one more point uh, i was watching like a press conference that they did where which was which was really funny to see just because they were they had translators going from a few different languages and um <laughs> it was just funny to kind of see how uh, that play out it was also interesting um in the film itself there was also a person that did sign language so there's, yep. there's a theme between these three movies but um fuck what's the point i'm getting to Who oh the original story the, the original story um had the car be yellow and they oh. changed it to red, and I think it was for the reason that you were mentioning, Bernard, is so that you could, it stands out for on the highway. In those highway shots, like it literally just looks like the cinematographer is on some guy's balcony, uh, some apartment, and they they're probably talking on the driver on the radios to drive on this highway from this point to this point, and uh, to capture that shot. Um, and I can just imagine hanging out on there, and you need a car that will visually stand out of all the gray of the highway and all the other cars around it. And red is probably just the, you know, easiest color to visually point out, which is probably why red is the most pulled over color. Also, <laughs> it stands out the most. And yeah, that's the thing that surprised me the most about this movie is how gorgeous like the visual presentation is. Like the editing is great, the cinematography. There's a lot of like great long shots and wide shots or every detail not even just the cars but the characters themselves and how they're you know how they're dressed and how their hairstyles are put together like even if you see them from miles away you could just pinpoint which characters are which and that amount of visual cohesion especially considering like how like busy and how big some of the sets and like outdoor scenery is is really great achievement in and of itself and kind of helps isolate the characters as well because it always all these characters are dealing with personal issues, and it always feels like they're, you know, kind of alone in this world. Even if they're in scenes together, there's just a sense of isolation that all these characters are kind of putting up with in almost every frame, outside of a few scenes, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. And the fact so that, you figure, yeah, go, on. go ahead. Uh, but so you figure yeah. even among all of that, uh, that's the scale when you consider how massive uh, the population is of Japan. And all the grandeur of the architecture and all of the, the 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 scope and scale of the city itself or the country itself, they still found a way to uh, bring everything down to a smaller, more intimate sort of uh, 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 setting, whereby you you can actually just be there in the moment with those characters and actually, you know, sort of hone in on them and what they're experiencing, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and the journey that they that they're going on. Is exactly. that what you're trying to suggest? 
Yeah, exactly, and I'm sure, like, lifestyle in Japan is a huge influence on the story and the characters. Like, I'd imagine in such a populated city, in such a huge city in particular, it, it's very easy to feel alone in the world, and this is... Stories like this are heavily influenced of trying to ground these normal people that just feel very miserable and depressed and lonely in their lives coming across similar like-minded people. I'm sure like the influence of the setting had a huge influence on the story and great effect, I thought. But there's never... And on top of that, though, there's never like that scene, that cheesy scene where it's like they blow up an emotion and they... You know, start crying and yelling at each other. Even scenes where you think that's going to happen, they just pull yeah. away from that at the right moment. And you I made, really you appreciate... made the Oscar clip, right? Yeah, the, the Oscar, Oscar clip, clip, which I felt kind of <laughs> kind of felt like at certain scenes, but it, it never has that Oscar clip. It never goes that route, and I really, really appreciate the film for holding back in that regard. Mm. You got to appreciate the the clips of the Oscars, kind of take from these films where they they cut just before something dramatic happens like they want to put you in suspense and make you interested in this film you probably haven't seen but it, it's is what is interesting though each year like each year when i see a film i i, I already can extract the oscar clip every film that i see in the year, i can already extract <laughs> well, what the oscar it. clip is going to be every oh, single yeah. time don't fail yeah well you've seen <laughs> but the I, can, I can do it with times. this i can do it with this film though because it, it's just structured differently it it, it, it really isn't a North American film. There's a different sensibility in which uh, the Asian filmmakers and some of our other filmmakers around the world approach the medium. It's so not the same stylistic-wise as the North Americans do. And, and that's why it feels like such a fresh breath, fresh of fresh breath of air. Fresh, fresh. fresh. <laughs> Just dyslexia and fatigue and uh, early onset Alzheimer's. That's all it is. <laughs> but. No, like, this is such a refreshing film. I feel like I was really there breathing in the atmosphere and experiencing what these characters are experiencing. And they, they really connect in some ways you don't expect. And I thought it was really touching. Like, when he first meets his driver, um, it's kind of a very cold kind of uh, first meeting. Like, very she's awkward. a young girl. He's not sure he can trust her with his car because he has to drive him around. And, um, you know, he's saying that, you know, it's an old car. It's got these quirks that only I know about because it's like a really old car from like the 90s that he's kept very good care of, um, which is why I thought this was like a period piece at first because like the car seemed really old and it looks really new. And I'm like, man, where do they dig out this like would-be beat-up sedan but in like pristine condition? Like I thought this took place in the 90s at first when I like was first seeing it, but then he pulls out a cell phone. Um, oh, he, he just really takes care of this car, I guess. Yeah. And then what, what, when uh, he feeds, uh, first meets her, she's basically just acting like she's at work. Like there's something about people's body language when they're not really interested in meeting or socializing. They're just there for their job. And you could just get that from her mannerism. But they slowly open up to each other. And I really appreciated seeing that dynamic kind of play out and where she – you know, he has um, her drive to these uh, places just so he can meditate and really reflect on what he's about to do next. And he has uh, her drive him to his or her uh, village that she escaped from and uh, the kind of unfortunate relationship we ha she had with her mother who was uh, going into these like bipolar um, split personality kind of breakdown and how, uh, you know, she died in their house when it uh, – I guess it fell from like a flood 
I forget exactly what happened, but then they go mudslide. back and visit. Yeah, right. yeah mudslide, yeah, and she mm-hmm. she goes back and visits that home. Like that was such a great scene, just seeing them, you know, connect. Um, where I'm like, God damn it, just hug each other. You, you both need it. Yeah, there's. You <laughs> and said, then they did. Yeah, go on. Coda, you said Coda was wholesome. I disagree. I think this film has some of the most wholesome scenes in cinema. Like. The first time where they're both wholesome, but I yeah. think this this is even more so. <laughs> yeah, the first time the main character like genuinely compliments the driver at the dinner, and she gets she's so uncomfortable that she's like, "I I gotta go play with this dog." I I literally awed. Ah. like that was so adorable, <laughs> like that was so cute, and I'm really glad a story like this isn't just all depression and misery. Like it does have a lot of levity to it through the cute scenes and. For some like genuinely funny moments as well, like the first time he's talking to his wife and he's like, uh, "Does does she masturbate?" It's like, "No, she has standards." He's like, "Wait, so it's okay to break into a house, but masturbating is too far?" Well, yeah, mm-hmm. and that just goes away. Like that was kind of funny, it's... and I'm glad a film like this isn't as miserable as it could have been. It doesn't feel like torture porn. It also lets you know oh, that no. these are characters with warm and embracing moments and those moments feel more rewarding because of the overall tragic vibes of the story yeah like this film could have easily had this like overtly pessimistic uh cynical view of things yeah and (laughs) it just looks at things very matter-of-factly and allows people to be warm and to feel positively after not feeling great and i appreciate that i appreciate just how balanced it is where it's not creating an impending sense of doom or misery i mean sometimes that's cool for a film especially if you're feeling that way you want to see a world conveyed in that sense so you feel seen or whatever but this film shows people going through something but then eventually coming out of it and opening up again and there's light and there's you know other people out there in the world to connect with and i really appreciate that in this film i mean yeah but i I think sometimes that can only be accomplished when we actually kind of forced to confront the painful truths of our past. Uh, Sometimes we need a catalyst that actually put us in that uncomfortable position to do that. And I guess Mm -hmm. his wife's sudden death was that catalyst that actually helped him to go on his journey uh, to actually confront those issues and find some resolution to them, you know? It still took him like two, three years to do so, but I think meeting the right people and getting outside of himself and working on a project with other people and confronting those things helped, I think. Even even confronting your your enemy and actually developing yes. a strange yes. sort of relationship with them, where they're sparring at times, but at the same time there's some kind of mutual respect and honor between the two of them. That mm-hmm. that that's that's that helps in uh, you know bringing some kind of reconciliation to the trauma as well. Yeah, that that was my favorite scene in the movie, just the scene of the two of them in the bar. Like you expect a typical relationship to be like really jealous, or one of them is uh, you know one of them's a major asshole and the other one is like this wholesome sweet person that was in the right the whole time but it's so much more complicated than that and it's interesting to see these guys it kind of like secretly saying like i know what you did and <laughs> i hate you for I, it. I was, but also having I, I was kind of a sense what, of what his beef was what was that the guy that slept with his that wife that was the guy the who slept with his wife yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that makes okay. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. I don't know how I missed that. But I'm like, at the what, same what, time, what is his problem you know, with him? You know. And wait. How did and how did he know that? Well, like, he, okay. But he walked it, in. It, it makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, you, you know. You know. It's interesting. Uh, I, I, you probably never saw Ryan Murphy's uh, limited series feud. Uh, Betty and June. Sounds it's about Be- Betty Davis and uh, Joan Crawford. It's about their feud. 
in the in the introduction, uh, Kevin Zeta Jones, who played uh, Olivia de Havilland, she was being interviewed, uh, and she said, you know, feuds are not about hate; they're actually about love. You know, when people when two people have a mutual respect and understanding of each other, and one has something the other one wants, that's how you get a feud. It's not that they hate each other; it's just that they feel that they're deprived of something and they want something that the other one has. And then when I'm watching this film, I see that one person knows so much more about the wife or this lady than the other does. And the other one had a relationship that the other one desired to have with the woman because she's kind of split into two, right? It's like exactly. she's living two lives. Probably mm -hmm. both of them wanted something different from this woman that the other one has. And that kind of developed a sort of tension between them that I found kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they both interrogated each other yeah. at some point in the film. I feel yeah, like he was like kind of tormenting them yeah. as the story went on. Like, he'd make him... Like, was he genuinely critical of the scene he was playing with the other actress? Or was he just pissed that, you know, he was late yeah. for the rehearsal and he's just letting out this anger that he's built up? Like, was it genuine? Or was it just, like, built-up anger he's had because of what he did to his wife? Like, he clearly I, wanted but I to also... say something to him after. Yeah. I also like how subtle that rivalry is. Like, you mm -hmm. almost wouldn't notice it if you were on the outside. It's just because we know the history between them that you know that he's kind of maybe pushing him in this way because he feels a certain way. But it's not like a grand scheme of trying to ruin his life. It's just these subtle little, you know, comments or things that he says that shows he's irritated and he wants to confront him about this thing, but he's not sure how to. I love how subtle and realistic that is, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, one guy plotting and scheming, like, oh, you fucked my wife, so I'm going to ruin your life and torment you, kind of thing, where it's like these very dramatic, noir kind of plots. This this just feels a lot more realistic in the little petty rivalry he has for a bit, but then when he tells her him the story of what she said, of, of how she concludes her you know, story about the Southern shooter coming in and such, just suddenly everything kind of coming out, uh, out in the open. Uh, that was a very cathartic scene with them kind of just in the back of the car talking, which it's amazing how much like build up leads into that scene, mm -hmm. get, having as much impact as it has. And it's literally just two people talking in the back of a car, but it just has so much impact. And, and the writing is so of, powerful. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's the one thing I, 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 I really wish you know, American cinema can get back to, you know, just just staying on the characters. Just just let the frame stay on the characters and let's stay with them for a, for a long moment. You know, mm -hmm. let's be absorbed by just, you know, that the the, the 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 look in their eyes, the the subtle the subtle nuances of their faces. Because right now, I just see so much like quick editing and coverage on on in American films these days. It's kind of nauseating sometimes. But just yeah. this film, this film works so well. Those scenes were so well crafted. And mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't let you go because I, I really feel like those characters are looking directly at, at us. They're letting, that, us, that know, they're letting us they're letting us in, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's what makes it feel more intimate, and engaging. It's just them looking right down the barrel. We feel connected, and then even in those scenes, the director would set up the camera. Like when the actor was just alone with the car and the camera, they would still have the actor like next to the camera, so they still felt like that they were talking to each other, which I think really helps make the uh, performance more authentic. That's and, interesting. Yeah, I was just reading that on IMDb, and I'm going to pretend that I read research that. In <laughs> um, well, but no, I, I, I think that's a great technique. I think that's something that should be done more often is actually have the other actor that he's supposed to be talking with there. 
uh, just off camera, if this if the shot is just the one on him, then it makes them feel like they're still talking to each other. And but once should... again, we're, we're talking about American cinema. We're talking about Hollywood. These these guys don't like that kind of work. They want to go into that trailer and allow the stand-in to be there. This 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 is the problem I have with the Hollywood the whole way Hollywood is structured by you know all all these union yeah. rules and all this other stuff that makes things so complicated, and you kind of lose things sometimes when in the in the creative process. Mm. It Whereas, also yeah, frustrating they, for they the just filmmakers. do things differently that yeah. tend to work better. Yeah, it, it's actors are driving the project, which can work in some projects, but other projects it's just a frustrating experience. Sometimes you just want to capture somebody in the moment. And that's getting harder and harder and harder to do with a Hollywood production. It depends on the actor, of course. Some yeah, of big course, name actors are still very old fashioned in that sense, but it, it is. It depends on right, the actor, and, depends, and also depends on the yeah. director and exactly. the respect that the actor has for the director. It, all that kind of politics sometimes. It depends. Yeah, exactly. it's also funny. It's also funny that this film is basically two hours fifty nine minutes four seconds, exactly, and it's based off of a story that's. 40 pages um <laughs> well, for 40 but minute prologue. it's it, it, it's <laughs> yeah but i think it works it works it works surprisingly yeah. well i was just so and it gives it. you yeah I, and, and really you, you don't feel that time once you're in it once you're in a place where you can you know just be there and be comfortable watching the film you don't feel the time run at all it feels like just a natural progression of the story like i paused maybe once during this film yeah. because i was pulled away but that was it like i was absorbed in it i wanted to finish it in one sitting i didn't feel pulled away or distracted by anything like there's there some films i watch uh some of these weeks and i end up pause coming back to it so many times because i get distracted by something because i feel like i'm seeing a type of story that i've seen a hundred times before where this felt completely fresh to me or something i haven't seen in a while and this is the type of filmmaking i really love and can get engaged in so yeah. kudos to it um, yeah i'm I'm often i'm often uh, uh kind of uh criticized by some of my peers uh for being the one that likes films that are sometimes too slow and ponderous fuck him you know good <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge um denis villeneuve fan and people think sometimes yeah. that he can be a little slow and ponderous even even within the sci-fi genre oh Which, yeah i guess some people some people are kind of used to things being cut up very quickly right they, they just, mm -hmm. that's just the microwave generation we're living in now instant gratification generation. i love that instant that's gratification quick quote. quick you know everything information to throw at you quickly consume it digest it quickly and get the hell out of there but sometimes like i said i i just want the frame to be held still on the on the on the subjects and on the environment as well so i can you know be transported into whatever setting or whatever um you know experience that the filmmaker wants me to have and i i think yeah. people like uh what's this filmmaker's name again you gotta you gotta pronounce it for oh, me oh sorry it is uh, uh ryusuke hamaguchi ryusuke yeah, that guy. hamaguchi yeah, that guy and people like Denis Villeneuve, I think they they tend to accomplish that, which is why I'm I'm huge mm -hmm. fans of that style of filmmaking and that, and that way of storytelling. Baraka, this is a, this is a film that really like this, yeah, this so. is a film that really earned its runtime. I'm gonna eat my words because I was saying how I would normally love slow ponderous films like this when they earn their runtime, but there are some films that kind of test that, and especially when we do a podcast where we cover three films a week, I started oh, okay. appreciating shorter runtime films. But okay. this film is this film is certainly an exception. I think this this is the type of long form filmmaking I enjoy, where that runtime feels earned. Um, oh. There are other films that could definitely deal with less time. 
So I guess we all feel good about this one. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention first. Like like I said, I wasn't with it the first thirty minutes. Like it it felt like uh the kind of film I thought it would be where it's like, alright, I'm really have to watch this guy drive to the hotel, get a call that the hotel isn't going, and drive back and you know, walk out of the house, drive some more, but after that thirty minutes I realized like it's going for the sound of metal effect where it's getting us comfortable with a certain atmosphere and a certain routine, and it takes it away from us. Like, we get used to this calm stillness and loneliness, intentional loneliness of his driving that's kind of stripped away. And it's very intentional. That's kind of a slow buildup, but it, it, it works for the film. I wouldn't want it any other way, but I could see some people maybe being turned off by it. Like, okay, really? Like, this is all the film is going to be? That's not all the film is going to be. Stick with it, for sure. And secondly, we got to talk about the ending, where uh, main character turns into a dog. Uh, <laughs> how would you guys uh, interpret the ending of the movie? Oh, yeah. So um, I guess it cuts to uh, the girl. I guess she owns the car now. And this is uh, during the pandemic. Everyone's wearing masks now, which really felt real. Um, seeing everybody... Uh, in a grocery store wearing N, uh, N95s, I guess. And then, um, yeah, did he give her uh, his car? That's what I'm wondering. It yeah, felt like... I, some people thought she just bought a similar car in honor of him and just bought a the dog in honor of the family the, with the deaf wife and the father that helped them get the play. But that's how I interpreted it as, is that, he respected her enough that he passed away, maybe potentially because of his op issues with his optics, or perhaps the same disease that his wife had, and he just gave away his car um, in honor of her and their relationship together, which is how I interpreted it, but the film doesn't explicitly say that, which I really appreciate, because that's kind of the point of the story, is that you know the past doesn't really matter. All you need to do is take the best parts of the past, take it with you, and just move on with your life. And she even get surgery to replace the scar on her cheek, which kind of shows that she's moved past that trauma as well. That's how I interpret yeah, it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm assuming that he actually uh, gifted the car to her and shedded the part, that whole part of his past and, uh, you know, just moved on past it. Mm -hmm. So he just allowed her to have the car. Enjoy so my trauma. Move on. <laughs> yeah, drive, drive my trauma. Drive my generational that, trauma. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great... Uh... Uh, that's a great alternative <laughs> title for this uh, movie. Yeah, Damn. drive my generational trauma. Uh, <laughs> uh, did we have any complaints with it? Because mine are very minor. Okay, go. You, you, really you must take complaints. <laughs> well, again, they're so tiny and minuscule. Basically, just some weird ADR. Now and again, like characters sounded. It does that thing in where which, it's like in they're... which in which uh, moments? Uh, so particularly like when they're out in the open or when they're in the parking lot talking to each other for the first time. Like it, sometimes it sounds like the character is right next to you, even though they're like miles away, and it mm -hmm. doesn't really have an echo effect. Like it's that weird effect that kind of distracts me a little bit, but. Yeah, that's like, pretty you much can it. tell that they were re-recording the lines in a studio because they Egg. probably wanted to filter out all the city sounds from the dialogue. Exactly, which, and it's a yeah, little that, 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 that's And, you know, those are just practical things. Like, you hmm. know, you, you the sound guy does his best pointing the boom mic to, to where the actors are or they're wearing little lavaliers. But when you're editing the thing after the fact, you really want to have a clean kind of dialogue and then be able to uh, – 
mix that in separately with cityscape sounds. So, yeah. But the, the, the trick is recording them in the studio in a way that matches the scene um, <laughs> and gives you full control of the mix. But yeah, just... honestly, I was so engrossed the story, I didn't even notice those. Yeah, and that's yeah really I the didn't job. notice It's so sure. minor. Just minor, like, technical issues like that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the first 30 minutes are slow to get through at first, but in retrospect, it, I wouldn't want the yeah. film to be any other way. So I can't really complain about that too much. But my advice to you is just stick with it. It's worth it. No, you know, it's funny. Uh, the, one of the films in contention this year in the international category was uh, The Hand of God, an Italian film, uh, which is hmm. available on Netflix. That, that That's the same feeling, that's the same sort of experience I had with that film. In the first 20 minutes, it almost lost me. But for somehow, some way, some reason, it sort of uh, transitioned from the kind of, uh, you know, fast-paced sort of confusion of the first 20 minutes. At least it was confusing for me because the, the, the rhythm of, of and timing of everything and the action was going so fast. But after the first 20 minutes, it kind of slowed down. I actually was able to, you know, get involved and with the characters and with the story. And yeah, that's the kind of experience I have with that film. But interesting enough, I didn't have the same experience with this. I, I found fair myself enough. engrossed from the beginning. Yeah, fair enough. That's but... interesting. And I, I wanted to ask you, Bernard, just because you literally went out of your way to watch every single nominated film and would have an informed opinion on this. So um, we're talking about the three big winning films, uh, Best Picture, yeah. Best Foreign Coda Picture, winning Best, Best Picture. Yep. Yeah. Are there any and, films that didn't really win much or maybe weren't nominated in the first place? Or are there any ones that you think really uh, missed their chance in the spotlight or that should have been highlighted more? You mean that that was on the ballot or throughout the whole season? Uh, well, a- any that just stick out in your mind. Are there any ones that didn't get as much attention as they deserved? Oh, okay. Let you know. You know. You know. The thing is, when it, when it comes to award season, usually at the end of it, I try to like move on. But okay. unfortunately, unfortunately, the slapper around the world won't allow me to. No, <laughs> we almost so, dodged it. Yes. I- I- Ian, what's our timestamp? Uh, right, right now. The timestamp uh, is uh, an oh, uh, I'd say it doesn't say on here, unfortunately, but it's about an hour and eleven minutes in. An hour and eleven minutes before we mentioned the slap. That's not so bad. That's it, correct. Interestingly <laughs> enough, interestingly <laughs> enough, um, you know, all season, everybody, no one was talking about licorice pizza seriously. Everyone was mm, so yeah. narrowly. Well, at, at at the beginning of uh, in the fall, um, Belfast came out of the gate hot, out of the gate right. That was that was on everybody's tongue. That was in in the conversation. Then all of a sudden, uh, there's a lot of heat behind Dune, and then uh, that started to fizzle all a little bit. Uh, Nightmare Alley came about, but no one really took it that seriously. I guess people were just looking at it more so from the sort of uh, more you know craft side of it, right? It was a good story, but I think I think most of the focus was on the craft. It, it did achieve everything that filmmaking can achieve, so I guess that's why it, it's mentioned in the best picture category. But then everything went behind Power of the Dog, and then in the last month, the conversation completely switched over to Coda. Uh, but yeah, Licorice Pizza is one that I didn't get much love during the season. No, no one really talked about it that yeah. much. You Which know, is got crazy, a few mentions we were, there, but no one talked about it. We we were considering covering that for this episode just because Stephen was totally gung ho about it and. I know Steven loves the film. There's another guy on our server who really hates it, which is really interesting to me, and I'm really curious to see together. where I'll land. But we'll, we'll, my, we'll my definitely talk about that at some point. 
They did. Eh? But you know, um, one film, one film that I I thought was really great, uh, I loved was Flea. Flea is the international, uh, it got yeah. nominated for international feature as well. It's a completely anime, animated uh, documentary, too. which is pretty okay. interesting. So it was nominated in the animated feature film category, the international feature film category, and the documentary film category. So that's that's, that's a film I thought was quite compelling. I I really did love that film. I just love the approach, I and I did really love good. the story. Yeah, there it, aren't a lot of actual, actual. like there aren't a lot of animated documentaries. Like one that I can think of that was I think did win an Oscar was on the ballot like many years ago. I remember us talking about it in like Canadian film class. It was a little short film called Ryan, which was uh, Chris uh, Landreth uh, interviewing this uh, uh, this animator uh, hero of his who has since kind of become this really broken shell of a man and who has this like emotional outbreak. It's like, it's like a dialogue only recording interview that he did with him. But then he went and took that audio and animated it and showed him in this very abstract sense where he still resembles this person that he was, but clearly trauma and drinking and other things have been eating at him. So like his body is physically deformed in this animation, just showing what his personality is like, which I think is such an interesting way. So I love this very niche type of way of storytelling where you take real audio or a real interview or a real story, and then you animate it to express another side of that reality that isn't just you know, the physical reality of the thing. It kind of represents a different side of it. So, yeah, I haven't seen Flea, but I am very interested just based on how you described it. Um, well, you, you know where to find it. You know, I, every, every season since uh, yes. last year, I set up these Google Drives where I invite people to access films that I would have downloaded. So, you know, all, all legally acquired, by oh, the way. Yep, yeah. all legally acquired. Why are you going to so bring You're the one that brought it up. Ratings! <laughs> Drive my car ratings! That's what we're talking about now. Uh, final yep. thoughts on Drive My Car. What'd you guys give it out of 10 and not discuss illegally obtained copies? Uh, I, said, uh, I said legal. I said legal. Uh, oh, legally. Yes, right. Legally. Yes, that is the word. Yes. Wink, there's wink. no ill. There's no ill. There's no ish here. Um, <laughs> anyway. Wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, man, I didn't give much headroom for Coda after giving it a nine. I, I was just wanting to sound cool. I was going to give it an eight originally. Uh, fuck, I'm going to give this one a ten. I Ooh. thought it was solid. What about that's, you, Bernard? That's lovely. So, uh, yeah. like I said, I found it to be uh, a rich, you know, patiently engrossing drama. You know, it it. it it speaks to me because, uh, you know, I think all of us can actually go on a journey towards uh, self-acceptance of our of our traumatic histories and things that we still have yet to resolve, um, things that we regret that we still have yet to address. So it works for me in every which way. And, of course, as an artist and someone with theater experience, I love the, the nods to theater. If I remember clearly, um, they did – they were covering a – they were putting on production of a – Chekhov piece, Uncle Vanya, mm-hmm. which is something I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with Chekhov. So that's nice to throw that in there. And the way they did it was having it done in multiple languages and had multiple interpreta- interpreters and things like that. Uh, yeah, so performance is great. Production, great. Um, the style of uh, editing was, was nice, you know. Cinematography, great. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'll just go up above uh coda with a 9.2 because i don't think mm. i don't think i'll ever give anything 100 uh 10 out of 10 Fair. so i'll just go at 9.2 sounds good 
I'm I'd giving say, uh, this perfectly one perfectly measured response. A nine point five out of ten. I think this or nice. Dune should have won Best Picture, and the fact that this yeah. lost adapted screenplay to Coda, in my opinion, is laughable because the writing of this movie just reminds me that I'll never write anything nearly that good in my entire life. The writing is just next level for me. You know what? I'm I'm gonna bump my score down just a notch to a nine point six. Oh, just so yeah. we have. Just so we have the inverse of a 6.9 in this episode. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. Good one. Okay. Uh, but it, it, it also it also gives it a little bit of headroom. Well, like, I think I know what you're rating the next film then. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe if it had an explosion, then there'd be a total 10. <laughs> Speaking of which, Encanto. Devin, what Encanto. is this movie about? Uh, so... As per Disney's uh, under the table contract to have at least one best, have at least one picture winner each year, uh, we have Encanto, <laughs> which um, is the story of the Madrigals, the Madrigals. who are a very uh, talented family uh, in Mexico, um, who uh, live. Oh no, sorry, not Mexico, Colombia. This this uh, this really shows how. Hashtag <laughs> racist. Um, <laughs> God damn it. My Cancel. bad. Cancel uh, I think I confused that with another recent film of theirs. I don't know. No. Not Luca. Luca's Italian. Um, Coco? So, yeah. They live out in the mountains. Coco, that was it. Yeah. yeah. They're, 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 Same movie, Coco right? <laughs> and Canto, there's similar cadences there. Okay. So, yeah. It's a family that live out in the mountains of Colombia, and every f- uh, member that's born in this family have uh, magical, mystical powers that are all different, and by a certain... When they come up to a certain age, that's when it's kind of revealed what their power is. Except for uh, Mirabelle, who seems to be the odd one out of the group. She doesn't seem to have any particular special powers, um, which was a, a point of concern that everyone has tried to talk around uh, very carefully. Um, and uh, she's kind of wondering what her uh, role in the family unit is. Um, but uh, she discovers uh, some hidden secrets that have... Uh, been swept under the rug also over time uh like the one guy that is that needs not to be mentioned um and that song played over and over that needs (laughs) not to be mentioned (laughs) just like the slap that needs not to be mentioned (laughs) we don't talk about jada sorry bruno Um, (laughs) it's uh it's a disney movie what do you expect (laughs) i know i'm sorry uh go on uh yeah so uh, I, I, yeah, I remember, I remember I watched this not long after it came out because it was family movie night and we have to see something that we all agree with, which is a very narrow uh, gap these days. Uh, Disney sim- s- s- tends to fit the bill. Uh, we also saw Turning Red recently, which uh, did not get nominated for anything, uh, probably because it came out a bit late, but also. Yeah, yeah um, it, it could be considered for next the next awards. It'll cycle. be considered for the next oh, awards. Oh, well, well, we'll see how well it holds up by then. <laughs> yeah. Spider-Verse will be nominated instead of it, and I'll be happy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. But Encanto, uh, I think this film is... I love and hate this film in equal measures. Uh, is the Ooh, best no. way to sum it up. It is a beautiful mess with lots of ideas that work and lots of ideas that don't work, with lots of songs that don't work and a few songs that are great. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> it's a mess. It's so hit and miss. But I'll take a beautiful, sprawling mess over a bland, generic Disney film like, you know, Raya and the Last Dragon or Luca any day. A film like this isn't great, yeah, I, I, but it I, I, has I, I, personality I'm just, I'm just, to it. Sorry. Go on. 
I'm I'm just, I'm just I'm just trying to make the distinction. I, I know this one was Disney Animation. Ryan the Last Dragon was Disney Animation. Yep. I think Luca was Pixar. It was. I don't know Pixar, if there's a clear but... distinction between the two, but it seems like I don't know that there there seems like their approaches are well, very similar. Yeah, Pixar is owned of, by Disney now. Is the thing. And I, and I know it's owned by Disney, but it, it I I would think that if you have Disney Animation making some making projects and then Pixar making projects, that they have their unique identity or approaches to the medium, but they all like. It, the same there's thing. really yeah, a yeah, lot it. of overlap like there, there's a venn diagram here and there's a lot of most of the stuff is probably in the middle i think like disney would outsource to pixar for all their 3d stuff back in the day and then eventually disney developed i guess enough of its own infrastructure to do their own thing but they still haven't cut completely cut pixar out of the picture they're still kind of like uh i mean it's i don't, I don't know how you how you'd equate it to maybe like an open marriage or something um <laughs> but uh I, yeah eventually they uh they work together on uh projects and you, they're really hard to distinguish i couldn't tell you what's a disney only production and what's a pixar disney co-production i don't think pixar does anything without disney anyway not um, anymore i think they were mostly isolated beforehand but i think around coco if i'm not mistaken because the good dinosaur was such a flop and they needed more money. I don't know if it was Inside Out or Coco, but they basically merged with Disney at that point. They weren't really an indie studio anymore. Nothing they could do could be done without Disney say so. And I think they could get away with a little bit more in their earlier pictures. And you could definitely tell that they could get away with more than they do now. Anyway, convoluted. I, 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 I don't need <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Ian said that uh, he found it to be a bit of a mess, but you know that's how I feel about Lin Manuel's Lin Manuel Miranda's work all the time. Though I, I oh. did enjoy Hamilton in a lot of ways. A lot of things in that show work. Some of the songs can be a little like a little much. Like you know, some things just don't work all the time. I saw In the Heights as well, the at least the movie adaptation adaptation version. Some songs are great. Some songs didn't work. Some you know, just kind of yeah, you know, messy. So I, I just think that's just him, right? He, it, it just so it's such a I think so he much stuff going much on, on his in the, his work that like, so you can't you, get, you just can't hit all the right notes mm. um, straight through throughout yeah, the which whole is, uh, production. It, you know? it, it's it's funny because he's all about the music. I mean, you, you think hitting the right notes would be like his uh, his, <laughs> forte. his uh, forte? Ah. But um, oh, speaking of speaking he, of, did you guys see Tick Tick Boom? Then just, just I was just about comparison. to imagine. What did you think of Tick Tick Boom? Because I saw I it and I it. actually really liked it, and I didn't realize yeah, that was I, his directorial debut. Debut, yeah, yeah. I, I I did like that one a lot. Actually, I I thought a lot of that worked pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. maybe uh maybe because there's a subject that you know, I guess, based on an actual person, maybe he had something to reference that wasn't. Yeah. And his original thoughts, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's interesting because it gives you some context behind how Rent was made, and it makes you think, huh, maybe Rent was complete shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, I, it's I, a great play, but not a great adaptation by any means. Well, the movie, I think the Chris movie Col- adaptation. I, I think yeah. Chris Columbus did the movie adaptation. I remember seeing it once back in the day. I haven't seen it since, so I can't really say it, but much. I know a lot of people love it, and a lot more people don't love it. Um, and I'm curious how it holds up because I think seeing the story of that character and how he came to write that story eventually and the ones he written prior to that is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it, it just shows kind of the struggles of a starving artist, which has nothing to do with Encanto. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Encanto, let's talk about the music in Encanto and how hit and miss it is, as we discussed before. And 
I I don't know about you guys. I know this. There was some pretty bad auto tuning at certain parts of the song, and it was like particularly oh. obnoxious. And uh, what was the song of? Um, I keep forgetting the characters' names, and don't want to be racist about it. But <laughs> the girl that has the power to turn uh, has the whole song about plants and growing flowers and. How she kind of oh. wants to express herself for her gardening instead of uh, her looks. Like, I thought the auto-tuning in that song was really bad. Like, it felt like... The, I, I don't the, remember the YouTube song. I don't remember the exact music. Yeah, it's it was, beautifully uh, it's shot. I've seen it's, it. it's got a great this message. Is she, but... This is the song where she's expressing making beautiful messes or something like that. Yeah. and She, she, she wasn't concerned more about making things too pretty. She didn't mind the imp- making things that were imperfect. And that's... You talking I mean, that song that was in that scene? Yeah, I thought, like, the auto-tuning in that song was so bad. Like, it just, they sound like robots for the entire song. And I noticed there was a lot of that in this movie. I realize a lot of musicals, especially nowadays, probably use auto-tuning to an extent. But for some reason... I'll let you in on a little production secret. A lot of pop records use auto-tune on just about everything on very low settings. Just so the performance comes out technically perfect. But yeah. they would normally not dial it up to such obvious uh, extents unless they were using it creatively. Uh, often right. to because try to make... Yeah. Yeah. Worst There's... case scenario, they have a person who doesn't sing normally, who maybe usually raps, and they crank up the autotune to make them somewhat sound like they're in key with the song. Right. Usually for, for regular singers and performers, they, they use pitch correction. Which uh, smooths That's out the little imperfections here and there, you know. Yeah. But 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 there is a lot of auto tune nowadays because they've they've turned rappers into singers, which is yeah. which is actually yeah. true. So I, 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 I wish I, they had I, a plugin that could make mumble rappers articulate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, <laughs> just translate. Just a drawing of its own. But back to <laughs> yeah. Encanto, yeah. Um, there's there's certain numbers that I really did like. Um. I, I must say I am in that camp that love. We don't talk about Bruno. Yes. Hate me or love me. That's I didn't like that number. Movie. I, I actually like Bruno's character quite a bit uh, yeah. in this. Johnny Zamo played that part. I'm right? like, cool. I, I, I live in the walls in our family mansion, too. I feel so connected with this character. <laughs> He's literally me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I kind of like how they handle this character, too. Like, they all may amount to be some demon and... You know, it's like rats across his back. Like they're just talking to him like he's the boogeyman, but that's only because they don't like what he has to offer. But all he does is tell mm. the future. He's not predicting these horrible events just to spite his family, but because the family can't accept the truth, they kind of project him to be this bad guy. And I really like that. And despite how awful the auto tune and the song I just mentioned was, and and the tough girl song, I do like the messages behind those songs quite a bit. It's just <laughs> they're lost and arguably awful songs compared to some of the better songs in the movie like Les Madrigal or the opening number or you know we don't talk about the song about the caterpillars what about song with the caterpillars I wasn't a fan of that one either I I love that song I love ballads (laughs) (laughs) I I have a funny parallel to draw just really uh, quickly but it's funny how Bruno and uh, Paul Atreides have the same superpower But they're treated completely differently for it. Uh, but then again, part that. two hasn't happened yet, so no one uh, knows where that story's going yet. Oh, spoiler book, alert! But... I haven't read the second part of the book. God damn it! Yep. All well, right, good to know. <laughs> it, there, there, there's more to it than that. I'll just say that much. But um, uh, I'm excited <laughs> to see where that goes. It, it, it's hinted that he is able to kind of see possible futures because of spice. Well, I knew that, uh, much. or maybe not. Uh, who knows? Mm. Um. 
I'm I'm actually really happy Dune won as much as it did. I think it got like four Oscars or five, five Oscars six, total. Six. It actually oh, six. It actually it, it made history in that it's the first film to be to win six Oscars without a director being nominated. Ah oh, man. That's Damn. such an ego. That must be such an ego blow for Daddy, which might be exactly what he needs to do part two correctly. Do so it. I'm actually happy for that. That it won for all the technical stuff. It has enough validation there, but uh, yeah, he, I, he I suspect. I suspect going into I suspect, part two. I suspect it could be getting the the LOTR treatment right, where they nominated all the previous films for best picture and all that stuff, but then they wait until the third installment to give it everything that it deserved i think it's only maybe they, may, hurts, they, they may be treating lord of the rings the same way i mean they may be treating uh dune, dune the same way as they treated lord of the rings most likely fingers oh, yeah. crossed and back to encanto real quick uh something i i did appreciate was the animation and it looks beautiful not in the way that most disney films look now where they're going for a realistic vibe but they just look so bland and kind of flat and the colors are kind of dull like it just it looks like it'll age very poorly in a few years, but a film like this will age very nicely because, yes, it's going for a realistic animation fibers. Also, tons of vibrant colors, lots of clever scene transitions. I love how they utilize the powers and musical numbers. Like, there's a really fun energy to the presentation of musical numbers, even if I don't like all the music. The presentation is, like, I'm glad they tried to make it pop and have a personality instead of just going to Ray and the Last Dragon Route where it's like, look at all how realistic we can make their faces and make the water look. It's like, no, just portray a creative vision that you couldn't portray in a live-action film. Like, that's what animation is all about. And I'm kind of happy that I can't that here with, for that. Yeah. With, with each of these characters that have these uh, special powers, which, you know, is a metaphor for everyone being born with their own quirks and whether or not that fits into, you know, your family uh, lineage and uh, kind of the expectations you have growing up. Um, and it's kind of an interesting twist how she's meant to be the next uh, uh, martyr, I mean, uh, matriarch of the family. And it, it's interesting, you know, the, the, this uh, metaphor of, like, family kind of heritage and trauma and generational kind of inheritance and hereditary kind of traits moving ahead, um, but expressed in this kind of mystical way. Um it's the Spanish the X-Men. Sorry, it's the Colombian oh, yeah. X-Men. No, I did it too. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> get him. Yep, an hour and 30 <laughs> minutes in. Get him. Time stamp it. Clip it on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> God fucking damn it. I was trying yeah. to avoid that. Uh, so, yeah, the Colombian X-Men was pretty good. There were some ideas I liked, some ideas I really didn't. I think my biggest issue is the protagonist is ironically so bland. Like, I don't even really know what her character arc was, per se. Like, I guess it was, like, trying to accept herself or who, who she was. But the film kind of has a problem where the side characters are really interesting and well-expressed. But because they're so well-expressed, they kind of forgot to have a protagonist. <laughs> like, it, it's funny how the film is basically about, you know, just accept who you are and be who you want to be without letting your gifts define you. But with the blandest, <laughs> most poorly written insert protagonist. Like, it reminded me a lot of Logan and X-Men Days of Future Past, where he's just kind of there to advance the plot and find certain people and bring them together. It, they serve a narrative purpose, but they don't really serve a developmental purpose. I think that's my biggest issue with Encanto, for mm. sure. And the irony of that is that the message is going for something completely different, but the writers don't realize that's exactly what they did to the protagonist. 
I guess I guess that's why oftentimes I find myself drawn to supporting characters more so in films yeah. as opposed to the lead character. I usually find supporting characters much more interesting and compelling. They they, they provide they provide the fodder for, you know, the protagonist to accomplish their goals and or even try to provide the obstruction, uh the hindrance to protagonists accomplishing their goals. Uh so that's... I always find those ones much more interesting to watch as mm. opposed to lead sometimes, unless probably it's uh Dan J. Lewis and uh, There Will Be Blood. <laughs> that's a performance uh, character that's multi-layered and very interesting and compelling to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just, Encanto... I, uh, I, I just I, read I, something I, really interesting ahead, here. Sorry. Um, Bruno was originally in the script named Oscar. Why? Oh, no. But his name was changed to better fit the song lyrics. Um, additionally, there was a legal snag over a number of real-life Oscar magicals that led to filmmakers to change it. <laughs> also, I imagine that would have made the performance of that song at the Oscars uh, more awkward. Uh, <laughs> we don't and, talk about uh, Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> we don't talk about Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't sing. It doesn't sing as well, though. It doesn't sing as well. No, no it doesn't. It, yeah, that, that's why it was changed to Brew. No, 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 no. I mean, you kind of go it and. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess it's hard to make your Oscar sound uh, lyrical, which is, uh, yeah, I don't think that would have played well at the Oscars because the Oscars want people to be talking about it, which is it speeds into the conspiracies that that whole event was staged. Yeah, ask for me. Um, I, I found Kanto uh, pretty good. I, I did love the animation style. I I loved the way the characters were. Uh, put together in terms of the way they were rendered and the way they're designed. Uh, the musical numbers, like I said, some of them were hit or miss, but overall, most of the songs and most of the music was good. The score was pretty strong. Uh, the sequences are very well designed, especially the, the more fantastical, fantastical musical numbers. Those are well designed. Oh, great. Fantastic. Uh, oh, they also, real quick, I wanted to mention, they did real choreography for it. They recorded people dancing and incorporated that into the animation. I oh, that was kind oh of cool. that's good to know. Yeah, like the whole um, um, singing about growing the plant sequence. Like, it's it's just the actress on a swing <laughs> while the other, like, actress is kind of, like, dancing while on wires. Like, it's kind of funny. You should definitely look up the behind-the-scenes for Encanto. Hmm. Yeah, and and I and I and I do I do appreciate the fact that they do show the various type of Colombian faces that exist because oftentimes we're used to seeing one sort of uh, looking uh, uh, Latin or uh, Latin Latin or Hispanic person on screen often, but there are Afro Latinos in Colombia, more darker skin and various hair textures and things like that, and those ones that are more. Uh, indigenous looking and those ones that are more European Spanish looking so to seeing those various faces in animation for children to see is, is uh, I appreciate that a lot uh, but it, it's, yeah, it's, I nice. think it's a very it's well nice made film it's nice seeing a, a mix of different type of people in one kind of culture which I think these films for you know I think films like this highlight with you know this looking into Colombia and showing all the various types of people that exist there and looking at Drive My Car you see a variety of different people and that film uh, in their cult, in their own culture, um, and I like seeing that. You know, just seeing the yeah. variety of things. It also adds variety to the characters. Like you can shake yeah. up like the characters and help their personalities stand out more that way. 
Exactly. Some of the comedic, the comedic timing was pretty good in this film as well, as, yeah. as most of the Disney Pixar stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they do well is. with comedy. I think yeah, like the, com- the faces. A lot of comedy worked well. Yeah, the faces that the main character makes I thought were kind of funny. Like, when she's eating the food and it heals her hand, she's just like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you just healed my hand with a Carol <laughs> uh, Paso, I think it's called. And it's like, I healed it with my love. And their face is just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, this is stupid. Like, I thought details like that were kind of funny. But I thought the comedy was kind of got in the way of the drama of certain scenes like it kind of has that marvel problem where it's not totally yeah. consistent all the time like there's one scene in particular where she's speaking with her father and the girl does her Whoo! to like interrupt the scene and it's like that's not funny like i was trying to get myself in the drama of the scene and that's not funny like you just took away <laughs> from what i was delving into it's the same complaint that people had about Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is my only issue with that movie, where the gargoyle—it's this really serious subject matter—but every now and again, it's like, oh, gargoyles juggling balls and some silly slapstick. It's like that doesn't really fit the overall vibe of the movie. But all right, it's not quite to that extent. But and Candle felt like that at times. And I wanted to mention, how do you guys feel about the whole grandma's uh, major spoiler alert, like redemption arc? Because I thought that aspect was so rushed and so cliche, and it was kind of like the low point of the movie for me. I mean, yeah, I barely, I, I barely really registered it, or at least I don't recall it well. But I remember like that that initial twist was uh, pretty huge, but then the way it resolved definitely felt like let's just put a nice bow on everything. Yeah, let's wrap this everything. up really fast, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and it's like. It's such a cliche for a character to have, like, a traumatic backstory and have that be the reason for why they're doing evil things. Like, it's such a common trope, especially in animation. And on top of that, like, she's given... uh, She says that, and everyone's just okay with it. Like, no, that's not how a redemption arc is done. You take something like, you know, Sam Rockwell's character in Free Billboards or Zuko in The Last Airbender, those characters have to redeem themselves, those characters have to do something to actually prove that they've changed as a person. Like, Sam Rockwell gets beaten up to get evidence. Like, he gets his comeuppance in some way or form, and it helps you resonate with the redemption so much more. But it didn't have to be that drastic for <laughs> the grandma. Like, she didn't have to get beat up or anything, but I needed, like, something. I needed more time for the characters to kind of come around to it, so to speak, instead of just being like, yeah, it's fine. Story's over. It's fine. We gotta wrap this up, so who cares, right? Yeah. And the film just lost me. It was kind of winning me over in the second act, especially when Bruno was introduced. But as soon as that climax hit, it just kind of lost me again. Like, that's Encanto in a nutshell. It lost, had me in the first act, lost me in the transition to the second act, had me of the conclusion of the second act and the start of the third act, and then lost me in the conclusion of the third act. So it's a bit of a mess, but it's a pretty mess. Maybe it's just that it's fresh in my memory, but I think at the very least, maybe Turning Red did that redemption a little bit better. I disagree immensely, but <laughs> we'll sure get to that do. another time. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I don't have much else to add. Uh, what about you guys? Did you have like any major issues with the movie, you guys? Uh, I didn't have any major issues at all, actually. No? Um, it's not. It's not. It's not peak Disney. It's not peak Pixar animation. No. I, I just think it's it's just serviceable uh, entertainment for for families. Um, there, there there is a lot of heart to the film. It it, it actually accomplishes that. that. Uh, I think the characters are pretty rich and layered in certain ways. 
Um, did they were they fully realized uh, in the end? Maybe, maybe they they could have uh, added maybe about five more minutes to, you know, flesh out their resolutions a little bit more. But I I think overall it works pretty well. And and I still look at it from perspective of some of someone who this film is made for. I I I know this film isn't being made for twenty thirty something year olds. I think the information presented yeah. is meant for a certain age demographic, um, mostly with some things in there for adults to comprehend, understand, and extract from the narrative. But ultimately, it's made for children, and I think whatever they're trying to communicate to children was accomplished. You know. Fair enough. So uh, I, 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 so I, I look yeah. at it from that that perspective, you know. So yeah, I appreciate what they try to do with it, and I think they accomplished most of what they set out to do. So sure. with that, um, yeah, I, I think I think it works pretty well. Yeah, I think my biggest nitpick is also its biggest strength, and this is just Disney in general, is that they they have this all this immense detail and interesting cultural tidbits and things that they introduced in all these films going from Nawana to Luca to this and Coco where they take a different culture outside of America and they kind of extrapolate all these uh, intricate details and then they cramp it into a very familiar formula that I've seen a dozen times but that's also why it kind of works I mean Disney is a monolith juggernaut of a company for this reason but it is made for you know kids and it's meant to be uh, consumable, fun entertainment uh, with kids in mind and for families so that parents won't mind uh, putting this on dozens of times because their kids will watch it on repeat uh, on Disney Plus, you know. So, and w- w- Which is a plus and a, and, a, and a minus at the same time. So it just kind of comes out as neutral. I guess me looking into these movies, I might want to see something different or really outside the box, but I know I can look elsewhere for that. And you know, you know, for that. Like they 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 want to rely like parents want uh-huh. to be able to put on Disney and expect a certain type of film where it's going to be wholesome, it's going to be you know uh, rounded, and it's going to be a decent time for them and their kids to watch. So that's why it works. Yeah, well, you know, you know that this is why I was rooting for uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines, which is swing animation, mm-hmm. and w- which was a uh, uh, streamed, which is streaming now on Netflix, because it it does do things much differently than mm. the way Disney and Pixar approaches the media animation. Well, uh, I the, thought that yeah. film was a little bit stronger than this, actually, I'd not just stylistically, but even narrative wise, and the way uh, the whole narrative was constructed. And they didn't they didn't do the formula, the Disney formula. But now I think everybody can tell what the Disney formula is, unless they unless you're a seven year old and you're just watching because. You're just watching, Your right? So I feel it. like someone if you're who's... seven and you don't know and you haven't seen this mm-hmm. story happen a thousand times before, like we have, like we've seen this happen in the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands. People even older have seen this since the fifties and the sixties. Right. Um, going back to Snow White, I think that was the nineteen thirties, or correct me if I'm wrong. And they've been relying on this very familiar kind of formula for literally decades, which is why it works. But also, it creates uh, a need. Or and an appetite for something different, which is why I like seeing, uh, you know, what Sony has come up with. I haven't seen Mitchell's The Machines, but I really want to, just because yes. I want to see well, you something. Should, you should oh, see it's it, like man. here's how I hate Mitchell's first. I, 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 I think I think Illumination Studios takes the absolutely uh, all the wrong things no. from Disney, yeah, and just 
and I fucking hate everything they make. <laughs> God, yeah. Um, but, Ever since Despicable uh, but, Me. You know, if, if Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is an indicator, an indicator of what you can do in this medium without the Zizzy formula, then I'm very interested to see what else they do. Um, mm. So I want to see Mitchell's Machines and just see how else you can approach this type of now, film. The Mitchells versus the Machines is from one of the creators of Gravity Falls, written and directed. Oh, so it has that nice. kind of vibe to it. I think dramatically the film falls flat on its ass, but comedic-wise, the timing, the ant- editing, and all of the lines of dialogue is—it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in a very long time. Like it's right. hysterical at parts. So and you know, f- for a little while, we had we had DreamWorks, and they were coming up with some great stuff that was really uh, different than what Disney was doing. And yeah, I and they got they got they got consumed by they Universal got consumed into the Comcast juggernaut. Yeah, ah, uh, yeah, they lost their soul. BMF, BMF. I, but I've I've got friends who are in animation, and they absolutely love DreamWorks just be, for being not Disney and for <laughs> having done things differently but unfortunately you know that did that was very short-lived but you know I, I think that there is an appetite for something like that something a little different outside the box but still you know families can watch and enjoy that just isn't the same disney formula why do you think so, so many like, people like Wolfwalkers? it was kind of like a different appetizer to what disney was offering yeah and even and people even looked over to japan and like the whole world of anime has something for everybody it has something for you know, kids, families, wholesome uh, kind of films, and then extremely degenerate shit. <laughs> <laughs> like Berserk also, and Neon. <laughs> and Justice. Uh, well, yeah. Well, there's there, there, there there's lots of – there's a big gradient between those two different ends. But yeah, there's there's – I'll just say there's, there's a much larger diversity of content in the animation world from Japan. That's true. <laughs> I'd agree 100%. And what would you guys give Encanto out of 10? You know, I, I I'm just looking at the Rotten Tomato uh consensus and score for Encanto. It got ninety one percent from the reviewers and verified ratings is up to ninety three percent from the audience. And love let me allow me to read what the consensus is. It says Encanto setting and cultural perspective are new for Disney. But the end result is the same enchanting, beautifully animated fun for the whole family. So basically, it's just Disney pushing out Disney product, right? Yeah, same corporate product. sort of. But uh, there was some output. hurt in this, at least, <laughs> compared to something like Rare and the Last Dragon, and in my opinion, Turning Red. There was some hurt put into this one, at least. Yeah. And I'm giving it. But a it, 6. It, it, 9. It, it doesn't stray too far. <laughs> it is, what, what did you give it? Six point nine out of ten. Easy. God damn it! I wouldn't go, yeah. I wouldn't go back. <laughs> Like I said, I put it, I put it in I context of, of who it's made low, for. Low, 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 low. <laughs> but no, I think context matters absolutely. I'll I'll give it a lukewarm seven. You got it. Uh, I, I, I'll 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 take it up to an eight. An nice, eight. Oh, great, mate. All right, all right. Well, it's not great. Toy Story. Oh <laughs> no, it's no Ratatouille. It's no Toy Story. It's not even of a Zootopia. I probably like films like that better, to be honest. Should we let the cat out of the bag? <laughs> All right, go for it. But I'm not taking purr in this. Ah, uh, this is a very slap happy event, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, <sighs> uh, you're gonna do a postmortem on on the Oscars. Yeah, well, unfor- it's unfortunate that the most noteworthy thing that happened, or at least the main reason people tuned in, is because someone decided to slap Chris Rock in the face. 
uh, well, for you know, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, according to Mr. Will Packer, who produced the show, uh, apparently the ratings, the peak ratings was actually after Troy Kutzer had won the Best Supporting Actor Award for Coda. That's when they actually had a peak. And then uh, seemingly after Will Smith did his thing, that's when people, uh, you know, went stir crazy in the Twitter sphere and started looking, uh, turned the channel to see if they were going to see something dramatic happen or what's going to happen with him in terms of is he going to get up on the stage and do an acceptance speech and what is he going to say in response. So I guess that's the reason why some people might have tuned in following the Troy Cuts up peak. Mm-hmm. And I would have missed it entirely if I hadn't have been like homesick from work. Like I, I was supposed to be working actually that night, and I wasn't wouldn't have been able to catch it at all. Um, it, I just happened to be there, and even as it was happening, I barely caught it. Like I didn't notice that there was a problem until the audio cut because I was uh, on my phone. We were all like live reacting to what was going on and chatting, and it wasn't until someone else mentioned uh, what had happened that I even realized that there was a problem. <laughs> So I, I just barely caught it, even though I was watching it, technically. Um, yeah, we, 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 we were watching live. We hosted a little Oscar party. We were watching live. And uh, some of us, as most people, thought it was simply a, uh, a you know, a little uh, stage sketch thing that they were doing. But then when he got down and they cut out the audio and his face went, like, he had this fiery, intense look on his face, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Will Smith. That's when we realize, oh, this isn't a joke. And then, you know, in the U.S., they do the, uh, they censor it, right? Because they have that 10-second delay or 5-second delay, whatever amount of time it is. So yep, yep. we weren't able to hear exactly what he said, the expletives that he used. But uh, people from Australia and Japan had already posted on their Twitter feed uh, the actual uncensored version. And then you realize, oh, damn, it was it was this intense. It was this bad. <laughs> Yeah, and like it's hard to trust what any of these people do because they're literally in the biz- they're literally in the business of deception and acting. But I don't think these people are that good of an actor, so it really felt like a, like an authentic moment. Um, but you couldn't help but see the flood of conspiracy theories coming out saying that this was all planned from the get go because of the low ratings that the Oscars had that this was staged. I mean, other than the fact that it happened on a stage, I really don't believe it was. But you also can't help but think that there's some publicists looking at this saying we man, we really got to take advantage of all this notoriety we're, we're suddenly getting or all this viral sensationalism. Yeah, and that's yeah I, I, I would say the Oscars haven't had anybody talking about it this much in, at all in recent time. I mean, you know, <laughs> there is some benefit to it. Uh, like one of one of my one of my uh, one of my guests, she's nineteen. She's this was the first time she ever watched the Oscars, so this was no like way. a highlight for her. Yeah, she's never seen it. Dude, she she grew she grew up in the in after the two thousands, literally in the streaming era. She grew up in a time where live TV is kind of inconsequential when it comes to consuming content. She grew up in the YouTube, Netflix, Disney Plus, uh, uh, cell phone era right so she consumed content on the go and on pads and uh through a computer so live tv is not uh a big factor into her uh content uh consumption which is interesting to me which is really interesting to me because because what's happening now is that uh a lot of young people uh you know the younger zoomers a lot of the content that they're consuming isn't curated, so they're getting flooded with torrents of of information through screens, and which is 
a good thing and a bad thing because that means because we have now like YouTube and all these other avenues of way to uh, create uh, film content or video content, which means no longer the gatekeepers of the big studios have the monopoly on uh, content that can go out to the world, distribute to the world. Uh, is more democratic now, but it's just so much more stuff that you have to get through to get to the good stuff, right? Because right yeah, now, I, mean, I was watching a, I was watching an Adam Preach uh, episode. They're talking about how you have TikTokers, which are like movie stars to kids these days. Like Hollywood is doesn't matter to these to these to these generations anymore. They're not like totally captured by the red carpets and the and the dresses um, from the House of Gucci and all that kind of stuff and anymore when i was a kid when we still had live tv before the, the internet age it, it seems so out of reach the the oscars seemed so far away the grammys seemed so far away because we didn't have all the digital cameras and iphones that can shoot in 4k and the internet uh to, to at the scale it is now right so when you watch a red yeah. carpet and you look at people magazine and print you were like so in awe oh my god it seems so far away it seems something that's so out of reach so it made it seems as if though you can't get to it which made it seem more valuable and then you dream and fantasize about it. so the, they were like god stuff right the movie stars oh and, yeah it was like, prestigious hey. like that way back in the day people knew nothing about the private lives of these actors like it was all like up for speculation whatever they want like, unless you like what, uh... unless you were like big 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 like if you're like 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 a, like god like like let's say like an mj where people are constantly in your business all the time or the royal family, or, or or Madonna, those people at that kind of level, you know, those well, huge people, I, like Tom Cruise, like he, most of the times, so the other movie stars, you you hear little things here and there, but those people, they were constantly on them all the time. The press, oh constantly yeah, on them, I, I think know? that's really that's where it really uh, broke open. But I'm talking like way back in like the 1940s when you had oh yeah, uh, like, like you know like, like like people of that era, like you knew nothing about their private lives really. Um, and it was just like speculation and hearsay, but I think in the, like the eighties and nineties, that's when uh, you know paparazzi media really uh, got invasive, and these actors really started playing to that a little bit to an extent. And these days, the, uh, the 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 poisonous pull of fame has become democratized on TikTok, so people mm -hmm. are becoming infamous for yeah, dancing to whatever snippet of a song that has become popular that week. And oh, they shook their ass in a certain way, and they got a million uh, streams because of that, or, or, or replays. And this person said or did or did something that was entertainingly stupid. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, people on TikTok get there. There was oh man, there was a newspaper that was delivered to our house saying how like a local kid um, was on vacation somewhere and accidentally zip lined into a sloth, and that got famous on TikTok. And it's just so weird seeing a newspaper talk about TikTok. Like, there's such a weird collide of mediums here where, like, newspaper, you think, you know, that, that that's, like, really old, like, dying kind of medium that, you know, your grandparents only read still. And then they're talking about TikTok on there. <laughs> I mean, it's just bizarre, like, the, the kind of overlays that happen here. The Oscars are always bizarre, man. Bernard. Thank you so much, man. You've been a great guest this episode. It's so good to have you back. And no props. Also, yeah. Devin, what are we doing next week? What is our... Our theme next week. Oh, uh, speaking boy. of Drive My Car, we're going to smooth roll right into next week with Jive Ass 
Drive gotcha. fast. Drive yes. fast. Eat ass. Part two. Hell what is going yeah. on? What does that mean? Oh, uh, uh, so we had an episode called Drive Fast, Eat Ass about cars and driving, and now we have a part two of that, which will include which films, Devin? Uh, Christine and Titan, and what was the third one? Taxi Driver. That was it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I almost thought you were going to say Duel. No. Nope. Oh, that, that, that was considered. That, that was, was considered. considered, but... Christine, I think, won in the end over that, which was directed by John Kerbiter? I didn't mm-hmm. know that fact until mm-hmm. I picked it up this morning, so can't wait and to it's see like, that. Like it's one of those titles that was such a throwaway title and it just stuck. Like It was it was told as a joke, and actually on the cover of the original Drive Fast Eat Ass, I really tried to hide the eat ass part just to make it a little more discreet, like it's a hidden joke. Like you wouldn't notice it on first glance. Well, now it's but, out uh, there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. And also, on April 16th, I will be doing my Call of Cthulhu one-shot called Deep Within, where a bunch of really adventurers, one of which will be played by Devin King and a bunch of other guests that have been in the podcast before, will be journeying into the lost city of Atlantis and what horrors lie beneath. So look forward to that as well. Also on our Twitch channel, a uh, link will be in the description of this YouTube video if you're watching it on YouTube. And last but not least, is the first day. Have a great night, guys. Don't slap anyone out there. Good night. Mm-hmm. Thursday. It's Saturday. It got post- Have a good oh, night. I'm sorry. Saturday.